0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to to a pirate episode, that's right, a pirate episode starring Val Heffelfinger, it's been a while folks, of Chapter Tactics. I have taken over things so that I might time shift a little bit, the Pacific Coast was a bit too far from the clutches of Europe, we're now operating on Central European time, and oh, what the heck, Pablo's calling me, one sec here, Oh, this is embarrassing, one moment, Hello? Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I thought... You said I could have the podcast. What do you mean you... Okay, well, how long are you going to take? Are you serious? You're... Really? Okay. (laughs) Like, half as much... All right, right, okay, it's your show, it's your show, it's your show. All right, okay. Let me just... I'm just going to tell the people. One sec. All right, guys. Well, apparently, Pablo just pirated back the pirate episode... And he's got some important things he really wants to tell you. And so I'm going to give him back the show. And then he said he's going to give it right back. So it's just going to be a quick intro. So, you know, it should be anywhere between five and 40 minutes tops. Over to you, Pablo.
1: Thank you, Valentine Heffelfinger, for sharing some of that limelight. I know it must have been very difficult for you. It is I, Petey Pop, the true host of Chapter Tactics, here to take a break from some much-needed family time to talk about some changes that we are going to be making to the Frontline Gaming Network and the Chapter Tactics Podcast. The first big change is we're going to be moving hosting services away from our current podcast host, which is Libsyn, over to a new host. This won't affect any listeners on the Frontline Gaming Network. You'll still be able to listen to The Art of War, or Stat Center, Signals from the Frontline, and Chapter Tactics. Everywhere you were able to listen to them before, on YouTube, on iTunes, Spotify, on the FrontlineGaming.org blog. However, there will be advertisements in these new episodes and all previous episodes. They will be automatic advertisements. They shouldn't affect the flow of the episode at all. You should barely be able to notice them. However, these advertisements will lead to more improvements that we plan on making for the Frontline Gaming Network. So we have some big plans up ahead and... It's, I'm really excited. Uh, everyone in the Frontline Gaming Network is really excited about these big changes. And we're just letting you guys know, and gals, know now th- that there will be some advertising. And there will be some changes coming up in the future. Also, you may have already noticed one of those changes. And that's we got a snazzy new Frontline Gaming Network symbol. And so what this means is if you see it on one of our podcasts or a podcast, you'll know that it was brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network so, you know, you'll be getting quality content or maybe something on Chapter Tactics or signals from the front line. And after this episode, don't forget to go into those comment sections and let me know how well you think Val did in his rendition of the Chapter Tactics intro. Also, if you want to support the podcast, go on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics, where our patrons get lucky monthly giveaways, cool, cool conversations. They get an opportunity to ask questions that get answered live on every episode, although probably not this one, and so much more. Also, head on over to FrontlineGaming.org where you can buy cool stuff like Games Workshop miniatures, painting, supplies, you can even buy our mats or terrain, and you can also get on over to the Paint Commission Studio and get a commission done for your awesome army. And finally, please, please, please Test out those ITC beta missions. We did work hard on them, and we are looking for general feedback from the community. So, if you haven't heard already, the ITC has released a new set of missions, so we are looking for people to test those out and give us thoughts and feedback on them. So, don't forget to do that. Thank you so much, Val, for recording this episode for me so that I may stay at home and play League of Legends all day. I mean, spend time with my beautiful family. And of course, as always, have a good one.
0: Thank you for all of that succinct and essential information, Pablo. And we have two excellent guests that I'd love to introduce to you all. Uh, They are men of the hour, men of the moment, perhaps at the zeitgeist of the 40K scene right at this time. They're hard to schedule because they have so many phone conferences and people to talk to and, and hands to shake and backroom deals to make. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the Breakaway Republic of the European Team Championships, potentially to be known as the WTC World Team Championships or some other cool moniker that will be settled on, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. We're joined here by Neil Kerr. Say hi, Neil. Hello, Val. And Ishik Balul. Hi. Now, Neil is is rapidly becoming the most famous uh, 40K ref. Uh, uh, I I haven't checked the Nelson ratings uh, in in a while, uh, but Salty John is looking behind him. Uh, I think so,
2: Salty John is salty. If that's the case, uh, he's
0: I mean he's gonna own that power ranking forever. The salty yeah. ref uh, power rankings. But uh, Ishik, you you sir are a name familiar to me because for some reason I made Team Canada two years ago, and uh, and so I have gotten to to uh, to get to know a little bit about you. But why don't we we start with you and. Uh, just let the public know, what has your relationship been with the uh, the ETC over the last few years?
3: Sure, sure. Well, my relationship was actually pretty young, because I, uh, I'm i the Turkey 40K captain, and I, my first ETC was in 2016 with Greece. And I just went there because it's like, wow, it's hundreds of people coming the world for a tournament. This sounds fancy. I think we should go there. And... And we just did and we met like Neil and Tom there. And the next year I, I was checking the forum and noticed that the chairman elections were going on and there was only three candidates, which for a position of seven, I think. I was like, oh okay, so I'll get in for I'll get him for sure. I was like, I'm going to win the election. I should just apply. And I did.
0: Best best kind of election you can you can you can compete for is one where you're acclaimed
3: more seats than the candidates? Sure, why not, let's apply. And after that, it's just, I started being a chairman. I liked uh, doing something for the community that sort of like, uh, like preparing the rules packs, helping other people, having captains, preparing for a great event, like making great, just working on the event was lovely, although a bit stressful. And after that, I just stayed the chairman for the last three years. and this was actually my fourth year as a chairman before the split
0: so for those those playing along at home uh the the a chairman is basically part of I, I guess the head committee uh of the the ETC do i have this right there's essentially one one big committee and then all of the all of the games that make up the ETC and there's flames of war there's now AOS there's ninth age there used to be 40k those guys all send a representative for their game, and they all sort of sit together on a council, and that's what runs the ETC. Do I have it right?
3: Essentially, yeah. Uh, if I have to be more precise, I would like to say it's a council of volunteers that, are, that use uh, the living memory, and the people who know how to run the event in general. They're not the actual people who run the event, that's the, the organizers. This is the chairman. Is essentially the connection between the players. And the organization, so it's like, what terrain do we need? How should we prepare the rules pack, the timetable? Uh, they are they are meant to be the directors of the event, like essentially the like who said council. They are usually the cap some of the captains, but they they are not system bound. So essentially, like me and Tom used to be the forty K chairs, but we were we could essentially we were doing. And helping out with the general event or any other system-specific things as well. It's just a council of volunteers where you work on a good event for, for a year and you work on it, you uh, work for the future candidates as well like essentially hosting the vote for uh, creating the host vote for 2021 or any future
2: years.
0: Yeah: Okay, um, and then uh, thank you. and then Neil. Briefly, what is uh, what was your role with the the ETC last known?
2: Last known, I was the head referee um at the ETC. You could sort of say the TO on the on the weekend itself. So I was one of a team of five referees, sort of a flat hierarchy, we're all head refs, but I was sort of, people sort of deemed me the more header of the heads. And we dealt with all the all the rules and ran the entire event, both the singles and the team event,
0: and uh, have actually become quite the resource for for tos and 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 forty k refs uh, the worldwide since. So uh, we appreciate your efforts. You guys, uh, along with Tom, who unfortunately couldn't be with us uh, this this afternoon evening, followed along in a proud European tradition of manifestos. And uh, I'm not sure if all of you had a hand in it. I think you all signed off on it, which was basically a, a document that proposed based on all of these reasons. And uh, it seemed essentially like um, there was a disconnect between the objectives of, say, the uh, tournament for 40K and the other games that attend and play at the ETC. Because of these reasons, you proposed that there would be a split away. 40K would form its own organization and tournament. Yeah. And uh, that was voted on by the captains. The Each game... Uh, again, you guys can correct me where I'm wrong, but each game kind of runs as a democracy of the captains of each country. Um, so proposals of, of for rules and 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 changes are usually put to a captain's vote within each game. That's correct, right?
2: That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Anything specific for a specific game is decided is in general decided on by the game's captains.
0: And then where some things got a bit weird and. Forms, I think, the crux of your your differences with ETC is that um, sometimes, though, the will of those captains is not observed by the council uh, uh, at large, the the actual group of chairmen. There might be disagreements or about how you run your event when uh, it has nothing to do with their events.
2: That's correct. So the ETC is is it was founded on the ethos you know, by the players for the players. It was originally I don't know since two thousand six. And it was started by some Polish and some Danish uh, Warhammer players. And they basically, they just got on some forums and said they're tired of playing the same people all the time. You know, In Poland and Denmark, it's very competitive, but it's always the same people at the same tournaments. So they decided to create an international event, and you know, invite people from other countries to get new opponents, basically. And then 2007, 40k joined, and it's basically snowballed and grown ever since then. Yeah, And it was... So sort of this when they found started it, they had the ethos for the players by the players. There's gonna be a democratic tournament rather than see a TO driven tournament. It's not just like one more group of making all decisions, it's everyone who's participating has an equal stake in the decisions that are made and how the tournament will be run. Which is an absolutely fantastic idea. And I wholeheartedly stand by it. I think it's a brilliant idea. The problem is, is that over the years it's become too big. Oh, it's become too big, it's become too much of a for a victim of own success because while, say, in 40k the captains can decide on the rules pack and stuff like that themselves if there were anything that they wanted to change related to the 40k that in some way might have, and it might have an implication for another system, then it has to be voted on by everybody what I yeah. mean by this is for example, everyone knows ZTC allows one team per nation which is obviously caused a lot of controversy among some you know larger nations it's it's,
0: uh, it's fifa rules but yeah
2: yeah and so we have been approached by some asian players from japan and china who wanted to come they couldn't get a full team china or a full team japan together this time out they wanted to combine the forces which therefore breaks the rule because you know team china japan/asia is not a nation and so, even though 40k and all the captains were really like, "Hey, this is a great idea. We 40k would love to have an, a, a group of Asian players come over, and maybe in the future that snowballs into more Asian teams," because it broke the overall ETC rule of one nation per team, to get that overridden, every, you have to have a there would have to be a vote where every captain from every other system would get to vote, and the majority wins. So. The 40k captains want to light something. that just happened for 40k, couldn't do it because it's everyone else gets to have a vote, and this is the problem that everybody get every other system gets a vote on what happens to your system, and it just be it just became a problem that nothing ever changed.
0: I mean, something that I mean in in the documents uh, that was passed around, and I think subsequently, your the explanation that was shared publicly as to why the split happened, that is a bit more. Um, I would say on point and, and a little easier for people to understand. It's just the practice of etc. Actually, kind of like the Olympics or the World Cup or any of these things, goes out to bid uh, every year for a new host nation. And just like with the Olympics and uh, World Cup and things like that, sometimes you have uh, you know a good host nation who uh, is orderly and has everything together. And sometimes you know uh, you're in Athens and and things are sort of cobbled together at the last second and. Actually, I think that literally happened to you guys. You guys had a bad one in Greece too, didn't you? <laughs> uh,
2: I was, it was Athens was the year that um, I stopped being Chairman, because <laughs> there you go. Of mo- multiple issues caused me on the Sunday to be walking around crying involuntarily. Yeah, because um, i I basically burnt myself out, like trying to keep everything together. For the, yeah. like in terms of the tournaments, keeping it together.
0: Yeah, so uh, basically, you know, you're at the whims of of these, you know, uh, you know, sort of mini. Or, like this their organizers on the in the host country that you may or may not have a good relationship with you're kind of taking them at their word and they're doing everything from scratch every time i know here in north america people are i've always been a little bit confused why do you guys always have trouble with terrain and stuff i mean you have the event every single year i mean over here we have sort of um, you know, very almost institutions now. You know, there's the there's the there's the Nova Open, there's the Las Vegas Open, there's uh, Adepticon. All of those things have their stuff. They store them in a warehouse and they bring it out the next year, and and they never have a problem. And here's here's the the etc. Perhaps the most I mean, we haven't really said what it is yet, but you know, the etc. is legitimately a, a coming together of the best players on the planet playing for their countries. It's as close to a prestigious thing you can do playing toys, and. And yet, you know, a lot of times, you know, I remember before, um, you know, when I was sort of vaguely aware of it, I would kind of scoff at the event because it was always played on like plywood with with, like VHS tape terrain and, you know, empty paint pots. It was always looked awful. And uh, that is a lot to do with just how it's set up structurally. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. One of the reasons of the split was how it came to be because... uh, Like the 40k captains wanted the event to go in a direction in a more professional way where, okay, we this is how an event can grow, at least this is how we see it. We need to do X, Y, and Z. And the other systems and the people who are lead the prominent figures in that system were essentially saying, like, no, we would like it to be in an amateur setting, we don't want to be any professionalism getting involved, we want to keep it. Still, like uh, trying to organize in a local team tournament level, like borrowing terrain from here and there. And, like, we sh- shouldn't keep any inventory. We shouldn't, any do- we shouldn't, like, try to have any profit at all. Right. So, and that eventually led to irreconcilable differences. Like, we couldn't just, no, we disagreed on a very fundamental level.
2: Yeah, I mean, and on the train, it's a very good example. This is one of the examples of just, you go back around this. This the, the idea of splitting has been building for years. I think we talked about it's probably been start going on since poll in two thousand twelve. That's when the conversation started about 40 k leaving. It's been a thing that's building for a while, and like the train is a good thing because like trains always been an issue. Like you say, each year it's a different organizer, different hosts, and a big, borrow, scrounge train. So. Two years ago, Ishik and uh, Juro ran the ETC in Zagreb, um, which was fantastic because one of the things they did was they got together and Ishik created some standardized train.
0: Yeah, as a Tau player, I really appreciated suddenly yeah. having line of sight blocking. That was that was great. Thanks. But it, uh, it's it's
2: I mean it's not the the best train in the world in the universe. You know, are not. It's not like you know, three D printed resin train. What it is is incredibly functional for what the ETC wants, and it is exactly what all the captains by extension and all the teams want it because ishik developed this train with, in conjunction with talking to all the teams and captains about it. what would you guys want mm-hmm. so it's per and it was a perfect solution it was it's made it's, it's high quality phone card it packs down obviously very you can obviously break it down quite easily so it, t- it has a very small footprint when it's packed up and it was fantastic and we again used it in serbia this year, and uh, Tom invested in a load more of it to the train. percy for like the Belgians, there'll be even more of this train available. And Ooh. then this year, now in Luxembourg, the Luxembourg organizers turned around and basically made an agreement, signed an agreement with a, with a with a train company for this company to produce 3D printed terrain for the entire tournament for the 40k, without even once asking the 40k captains what they wanted. And the thing is, none of the 4K captains actually wanted the 3D this 3D printed because it didn't fulfil the functionality. It didn't meet like the maps that they've developed or anything like that. It's just like the typical and organizer makes a decision for you because they think that's what you want and they believe they know best.
0: I remember actually reading over I think the, the bid in the original budget. It was something like two grand for all of the terrain. <laughs> like yeah. it was yeah, they, it was a they, hilariously they, low number that it was just like that yeah, uh, no, like you're not gonna do it for two grand.
3: They, they told us that they, run, they are renting the terrain for 2,000 euros, which is, sounds feasible because it's renting. They're just going to take the terrain back, which, is, which means actually the, pro, the players are giving out 2,000 euros to pay it next year and yeah. the year after that, and the year after that, which was like one you know, of the as well. We can just pay it once. We, we will know
2: the price, and they'll yeah. be more honest. That's what we want. We want to own stuff. Yeah, we, want, we, want, we want to invest in the future.
0: Sure. Uh, so uh, now, actually, I would like to, because I think this story, and we've, we've, spent a, we've spent a reasonable amount giving the backstory, and I think it's, you know, broad strokes, essentially. I think the, you know, the objectives of, you know, the 40K playing uh, tournament, uh, you know, are no longer in line with the ETC as a whole. Uh, different strokes for different folks. It's time to set out on your own. And now the fun stuff begins. Um, because you guys submitted your proposal uh, in a course of action, which uh, included options such as continue to stay with the ETC until Luxembourg and depart after. Um, but you also had the option to just clean split right now. We're going to do our own thing. Uh, massive vote. I think off the top of my head, it was something 90% voted to leave the ETC to split away. And then 70% voted to not uh, uh, even stick around for Luxembourg. Am I, am I right on that?
2: Yeah, yeah, basically. And it was also worth noting that the voting was done by the captains, again, by extension, the teams that they represent. Every eligible team voted.
0: In in, in American parlance, that is a super majority uh, and then some. Uh, this is uh, 90% is downright unanimous, uh, just in principle, to leave. Whether or not everyone thought it was appropriate to leave immediately splitting hairs. Clearly no longer faith and confidence in the ETC and we can leave it I think at that. We don't need to beat it beat it to death because what I'm more interested in talking about is what the hell happens now. So you guys so you, the three of you guys uh you know the the authors of this uh, manifesto seem to be as part of a steering committee. So how does, how does the how does how does it work from here? How are you guys organized out of the gates looking for a new home?
3: Well, at the moment it's like we are sort of keeping this uh, structure somewhat similar because it was always, at least for the last few years, it was always Tom who prepared the rules back and I was more of the organization side, at least for 2018, and Neil was organizing the referees and how the tournament player conduct works. So it, it, as a, like we all already ran the tournament every year, at least for the last few years, and so. We can just keep it going. We know what to do. We know what we want to do. And there's no official title, but I think we, we are like TO or, or something is, would be appropriate to call it. But we are not effectively TOs because still every decision goes through the captains. Like we don't write the rules back or let's say add for it or not. That decision still belongs to the captains.
2: I like to call the Port Billow, but that's just because I'm a, you know, history fan and communism is funny.
0: The Politburo. Um, and that, that's actually kind of where, where I'm coming from is, is like, do you guys feel like you have the ability to go out, make decisions, or are you beholden to put everything out to a vote to the captains? Which, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's what, how many, 30, 30, 30 plus, maybe 40 captains? How many are there?
3: At the moment, there's 34 voting eligible, like the. Uh, 14 more eligible captains, which means 34 teams who candidate in the last two years. But yep. we actually have like 38 to 40 prospective teams this year.
0: Because, I mean, there's going to be some big questions coming. Uh, you know, where is it going to be held? Um, you know, date and all that kind of stuff. How do you guys expect to manage through those kind of decisions?
2: Well, that's what we've been doing for the past couple of weeks. Um, I mean, one of the things is obviously where it's going to be held. So we went out very quickly and said to all the captains, you know, have either yourselves or people you know in your communities who are interested in potentially being hope helping host this, let us know. And so we collected over the past few weeks of bids in. We had correct me wrong there's nine bids in total initially. Which which we've whittled down to is it five? We are basically like we, like especially Ishik doing a lot of work on it himself, going through checking the fine details, seeing if this if this is viable or not. Like what if, if what you're telling us is you can do is realistic or not. And so we whittle it down and then later this week the idea is that we'll present all the bids and then sort of go through each bid as well, the pros and cons of each bid, and then let the captains decide from there and let them have an informed decision.
0: Is there uh, any any light you can shed on that? You know, what the shortlist looks like?
2: Have yeah, you got the shortlist to hand, yeah. yeah, I know the short. I know the shortlist at the top of my head. Uh,
3: it's, yeah. At the moment, uh, the, the five bits is, one of, the, one of them is Spain. They have a really good venue that hosts their 450-person tournament in yeah. September, I think.
0: Okay, I, that was actually right off the top of my head because we only really discovered what they were up to in November. That's um, FAIR, uh, I believe, is one of the TOs and organizers there. Um, and uh, they ran it in a beautiful venue, uh, looked very smooth, positive things from everyone involved. So great. That's our first one. Who else?
3: Uh, we got Austrians who want to run it at a hotel that has to bring 727s on top of it, where you can go have a drink in the middle of a plane at the top of a, uh, at the top of a building,
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, which is pretty neat. Uh, we got the Slovenians, who who have it in Ljubljana, which I hear is a wonderful city. And oh like on fourth we have the Greeks who want who are not the same Greeks in the 2016. So that matters a bit because I don't think and for the last we have a Turkish bit. Like I'm essentially putting in a bit myself just in case. I'll probably drew it if when I uh I'll probably like pull it back. If the other candidates are appropriate. And like mm-hmm. all the votes have good and bad with them. Like some, some of them are, have great venues, some of them are a bit more expensive venue wise. Essentially, we are I'm questioning them at this point for the last few weeks. Okay, if you win the ETSC, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to handle that? Which was a problem of the past because we held a vote, but we didn't have enough information and we just trusted the host blindly yeah.
0: we yeah. couldn't
3: we couldn't make them do anything they had unlimited power and we could have just went there and found an empty hole wednesday afternoon which was always yeah. a possibility. Yeah. i
2: mean that is a big difference now the idea is that the people who hold like the local hosts they will be you know a facilitator a subcontractor what have to us. that you know they'll be very very clear this is what you have to do. We will be, we'll be dictating the terms throughout the entire process um, rather than, like, you know, you just, just said, oh, you've won the bid. Off you go. Please do please do what we want. So there's a much closer working relationship and much much more control by like hands on the reins from our side, which should be good.
0: And so is there, is there much consideration given to, because, I mean, recently, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, um, I guess it was returning to Luxembourg, but, Oh man, I'm going to be sound pretty ignorant. Is Luxembourg in the EU? Is it in the eurozone? Yes. Arizona? Yes. Is there much consideration to that? Um, like I know, previous to that, there were a couple in a row that uh were sort of outside of the euro, maybe a little bit cheaper, maybe a little more uh, Warsaw Pact type countries. Uh, what's uh is is that part of the consideration? Because I know you know all not all teams are able to to handle you know the expenses of travel and and things like that as well as others. How big is cost a consideration?
3: Well, it's not going to, like, we are going to reject a bit outright, but uh, let's say from England. There was actually a British bit that got pulled off because it wasn't really viable after, like, we sort of questioned it, and it was like, yeah, and something like that. But uh, it's always going to end in a vote, and we are going to say, okay, guys, this is going to cost X amount of funds, and we understand that some of the teams won't, like, Will have a hard time getting there if able at all. So it is almost like already showed itself in the process. Not like there's going to be direct uh, because it was in Serbia, which was which is quite cheap, and we had the biggest 40k event there with 36 teams last year. Mm-hmm. And and for example, uh, let's say in London in August, I don't personally see it happening, even if the bid is great. Right. Not because we will not allow it or anything, it's just simply not going to get enough votes to be chosen as the nation to host the mm-hmm. country.
0: Um, yeah, now you need to bring your passports for, all, for most people, so hey. Nah, um, that... <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, you know... And, and, we were talking about uh you know Spain and 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 other options there Slovenia what do you guys what do you guys get the sense of what are you most excited about with the opportunity to you know kind of control and shape your own destiny with this kind of uh you know uh opportunity in front of you like do you have you know a hope to create a, a terrain cache, you know uh you know something that you can be used every year will there become more, will it become more of a you know institution less less like a you know, traveling circus and more like something that's a little bit more permanent?
2: Um, In terms of is it going to travel every year or not, that's a decision that's going to be... right now. The focus is just getting this year done. Just getting an event, getting this year off and getting it done, you know, making it knock out kind of the park as good as possible. And then going forwards, once we've got everything in place for this year and we're locked down, you know, we've got the venue, we've got the media coverage, streaming, all these things are sorted and fixed and it's all good. Then we're going to look ahead and say okay, what, what shape are we going to take? Is it going to be changing every year? Is it going to be like, find a home? Is maybe we find a place for a couple of years? All these things are start going into it. But the one thing we are, like I said, we are set on is that the money, like the profits, it will, there'll be a chunk of the profits coming back to us, the WTC, which is going to be used to invest in terrain, mats, which will then be stored somewhere. So that going forwards, we'll build, like you say, you will build up this infrastructure of materials. I mean, we just then we just drive across Europe to wherever it is. So that's the one thing that's absolutely set in stone. Is that's what we want to do. We need to invest in the future to make this. You know, it is like you said. It is the most It is you know possibly the most prestigious event in the world in terms of you representing your country. You're playing against essentially the top players. Every opponent you play against is a top player from their country. But it doesn't look prestigious, and we need to make it look prestigious.
0: What do you what do you see as 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 like the biggest opportunity for evolution for the event? So yeah, maybe getting good terrain and getting uh, you know a venue that you know has toilet paper and air conditioning. Those are great things. Um, you know, and might some might say those are you know real basic level stuff. So you should be able to just blow those goals out of the water. I don't want to jinx you guys, but I suspect you're gonna be able to run. A large-scale Warhammer tournament. There's a playbook out there. It can be done. So, what are the things that haven't been done with with regards to large-scale 40k events that you guys maybe in the back of your minds are excited to hopefully be able to have a chance to do?
3: Well, we sort of have a few ideas. The most prominent being uh, one lacking thing in at least in Europe. We this is just the initial ideas. Nothing is certain yet. But we are hoping to get a circuit of national team events or at least team events where we move like throughout the year. We will have uh, one event in, let's say, Belgium, one event in Sweden, one event in Croatia or something, where it will be team events and then potentially it has many... Many outcomes from that to essentially build something that leads to the world. On top of that, it's just trying to improve what we can every year to make it the actual, to actual, world's party event, like the pinnacle of the the pinnacle of the players, because it's the only event in the world that you can play with six different national opponents in six rounds. If you count the singles, you can potentially play against twelve different, uh, like, people from twelve different countries, which is uh, already unique. Like, I think we need to play that in the future. I think we plan to do that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I see. Since you're saying this idea about this uh, circuit, it's not that we'd go organize events. There are there is actually a huge amount of team events in Europe, and a lot of them are driven by people who are involved in the ETC. I mean, the French have a have a team tournament circuit to choose their ETC team. Yes. You know, there's two team tournaments a year in uh, Sweden, there's Poland, there's the UK, there's the Belgian team tournaments this weekend. There's the winter team tournament in Zagreb. There's all these team tournaments. And there's an idea that maybe something could be done there and create, like, you know, teams could potentially travel to a lot of these events... And there'd be, like, a ranking system ran over a year, similar to the ITC, but at a team level for, like, team competition. And then maybe, going forwards, the, like, the WTC next year, there will be, the, be the nation, the country versus country event that we all know. But maybe there could be, at the side, a parallel team tournament that's, that's open for all. That could then also cool. maybe be, you know, potentially some kind of, like, final... To this, like you know these other team events, there's there's ideas. And it's just about talking to the communities and seeing what they want to get behind.
0: Well, I think one of the things that you know just immediately that that sparked me there is I think one of the big criticisms of the ETC or now WTC or what have you is is that it's kind of a country club in a lot of places, and, and you know it's 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 a, a very exclusive group of people who get to go, and there's a lot more people who want to go than necessarily get to go. And, you know, having a circuit would provide nations and countries opportunities to have their, you know, B squad out, you know, have a have a development team go out because um, not everyone's going to be able to get to every single team event. Um, you know, so you would have maybe opportunity to mix in players who maybe aren't on your top top tier national squad or, you know, maybe you also bring your your development squad and that gives other players the opportunity to earn their spot. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There's there's like some really awesome uh, opportunities there. There's also opportunities to have an event over here that's at more of a country level or a national level. And by over here, I mean uh, North America. So, yeah, I, I think that could be cool. But what do you guys think about that, though? The, the, the stigma maybe a little bit, um, which is that the captains are captains for life. This is a weird thing to me anyway about the way the charter was set up. And also, I'm wondering if it's possible to ever get out from underneath it because you'd need captains to vote themselves out of a captaincy for life. Um, that comes from a time period when it was kind of just, you know, all you wanted were was people to get teams together and come. And whoever put in that effort, well, they get to be the captain. And maybe now we're past that for a lot of these countries. Is there any hope for reform from, you know, from From the angle of team selection and you know how captaincy is handed, uh, sorry, handled and handed down or passed off.
2: Well, the thing is, to be quite honest, at least in Europe, the majority of the the nations have a system in place already themselves. You know, um, Sweden, their team is picked every year based off it. Of, there's, a, there's a Swedish ranking system that we have here. And the team is picked out of that, and the, what happens is the top three players at a certain point are automatically in the team, and those three players pick a captain from themselves or from outside. Um, England, you know, Scotland has a ranking system and a qualification process. The French have a huge qualification process. The Danes have one. A lot of countries now have very sort of set in stone qualification processes, and within that also structures for how the captain's chosen. Not all countries do. There are you know, some small nations, like a good example is Wales. They have such a tiny pool of players that they can barely get eight Welsh guys together. So it's kind of a case of who wants to still be captain, and they keep forcing Gaz to still be captain every year, despite you know, he <laughs> doesn't want to be sometimes. Um, and so most countries now have definitely are, you know, it's become integrated into their local community like how to qualify in that. It gives them legitimacy. Sure, there are obviously some obvious, there are some exceptions. I mean, an obvious one is Team America, how America is chosen.
0: Whoa,
2: really? That, yeah, I mean, but that and that's that's the thing. That's the, that, There's a question there of you know, where's the legitimacy of us? What authority would we have to step in and say, no, you must do this? And at the same time, right. it's very hard to, and the same time, we don't want to sort of like overreach and say, so you say start telling Cap take teams, you have to do it this way because, you know, you you might we, we might not understand what goes on in a certain country, certain community, how the dynamics and that are there. You know, there might be very good reasons why it's done a certain way, not another way. But yeah. I think there has been legitimate discussion amongst the captains, and this has gone on for about a year now, about the there needs to be put into place a way to stop somebody holding the team to ransom. So I a captain who is no longer Supported by his community whatsoever, but refuses yeah. to step down. The prime example of this is the Greeks that last, that they had a team, it didn't attend for a couple of years, and the Greeks formed wanted to form a new team with a new captain, and the previous captain refused to step down. He basically, because he didn't, he didn't, he, he'd fallen out of his community and he was holding the team hostage, basically. And in that instance, the, like the 40k captains got involved and just basically agreed, no, we're just gonna, we're just gonna we're just gonna accept a new team because it's clear what's going on. And as a community, the captains actually, you know, did that. So this idea of we being held hostage, we've already proven that as a, as a community from the 40k like WTC captains, they don't necessarily think it's a good idea either. Because you know, like I said, they, the Greeks being the example when they all came together and said, yeah. no, you know, you can't do this. So I think it's obviously a lot of listeners, a lot of people, America is the biggest community in gaming community in the world and the way the American team is picked is very much, you know, you are captain and it's a and you when you become captain you set your mandate out so Sean Naden set his mandate out about how big the yeah. team he was chosen to be captain and he has that mandate until he decides otherwise. And that's something that the American gaming community, the ETC community will have to look at maybe in the future and say, Is this something we keep going? And it's hard you know america's hard there's so many players how could you how could you fairly pick a team
0: this this is i mean i mean you went to america but i mean clearly i was speaking about the tyrannical rule of christopher haynes
2: yeah but how do you pick exactly how do you pick a captain in canada when your community is so spread out and kind of and kind of operates in small little pockets small little islands on their own don't they yeah and I
0: mean I'm, I I'm yeah. I'm I'm sort of I'm sort of joking and maybe that's that's also uh something you know you 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 know the the FIFA structure which would be another thing I think a lot of Americans are like why the hell you know we got we have eh, I guess that population is about the size of the EU maybe bigger mm-hmm. they're roughly they're roughly the same yeah. um and uh and yet you know they have one team
2: yeah they do and this is something that's been brought up and cuz you've got obviously like in Europe, Poland, Germany, France, and England have by far the biggest gaming communities. They've got huge, massive, massive communities. Spain as well, you know, 450-player single tournaments. When you ask these teams, and not just the captains, just the teams, would you not like to have a second French team or a second Spanish team? They all say no. Because it's something they've spent, they, they, they they've, they've, they've worked towards. They've striven, and they've worked hard to get into their national team. Some of these guys invest years to get into the, to get into their national team, you know, right. and it's something. And when they're in the team, they then their entire year reading up to the WTC is spent practicing, list planning, going to tournaments. Like they're, they're, that's their that one focus. They're, they literally they'll they'll go to single tournaments, playing lists that they think would be good to play at the team event, even if that would hamper them. They stop them doing well at a singles tournament because it's all about mm-hmm. practice. It's all about that one weekend, and right. trying to be the best country for them. And for them, having multiple teams just removes that prestige, and ergo also removes that motivation to try your best because no longer it's not it's not just you representing your country. There's three other teams representing your country.
0: I suppose I, you know, and and I think that is, and and you know, pardon me for playing devil's advocate, but I think that is definitely one of the things that makes it special i mean just like you know you don't you don't go and watch the olympics so that you can see team canada and 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 team um you know team sorry i should you know like team ontario and team quebec uh you know you go to watch team canada and the people from this entire country that come together for that but on the other hand there there is the reality of this game still being fairly regional um yes there is a growing cadre of traveling players uh especially in north america and certainly uh you know starting to see that a lot in europe too for the most part, people do kind of stick to their zones. And, you know, that's just a reality of, you know, you're not making a living at this. You know, you got to be able to justify the costs and take the time and, and go and, and and do those things. So people tend to play against each other in these regional events and then go to big uh, events that maybe capture larger populations. Those are your big majors and ETC being one of them. Um, would there not be an argument, though, for some countries, like, for example, you know, Canada, the United States, um, or even, uh, you know, ones where it's feasible that metas never really interact, and they are kind of independent, that you might have a Canada East and a Canada West, a U.S. South and uh, a U.S. North. Bad example. But uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, would there not be maybe an argument for the realities of the game in that sense? Because someone in Germany, theoretically, just from a geographic limitation, you know, you can go from North to South of Germany in the time it takes me to drive to my nation's capital you know like it's 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 like the the, the scales of distance and isolation are a little bit different uh, for other countries in the world is there not maybe an argument there
3: so, there is an argument for that but i i since i come from a small nation i can tell that if there was a chance i would play against multiple french teams or multiple german teams and uh or like or multiple English teams which are real possibilities if I may start to allow uh the teams like multiple teams from a single country. It I wouldn't want to attend that tournament because the reason I go to that tournament is to play six different teams. And there you should like the national aspect is the most important aspect. Like it like it's a team event and it's a national event and it's like you you are the best of your team. Usually, yes, there are some captains that just take in some of their friends. That is a thing. The Greeks were a thing, and we are sort of improving on that as well. In the future, it might be possible to put it into some sort of rule set that uh, if you don't do if like if you don't have good enough support, you might you should be encouraged to leave your captaincy. But it is the actual unique aspect of. TC, I might like at least the world's our event, uh, where we do get 34 teams from 34 different countries, and that is magical. Yes, I understand that some countries are too big and they are effectively different countries. Like the Serbians and the Croatians are more similar than a West Coast US team and an East Coast US team actually, since so they do play with each other several times throughout the year. Uh, that would all that would simply just turn it into okay. Who can have the most amount of teams then? Like,
2: yeah, there is there is that issue. But again, I mean. I mean, it is the thing is when you speak to the European teams, like they say, they have a lot of, in Europe. There's most, most teams now are picked for a very established system. You know, they have this there's, there's qualification processes, be it like in the format of team events or be it of rankings, qualification tournaments. And, you know, obviously, you guys are coming from, from Canada, from America, the, the selection system is different. And maybe it's a case of, you know, as the community in Canada because you guys definitely are getting behind the ETC. you know Canhammer was a massive success this oh, weekend yeah. wasn't it
0: Oh yeah no I I'm I'm yeah. 100% here guys I'm yeah. playing as a, a devil's advocate here No I know I, I know I,
2: I, I'm saying that it's like Canhammer was a massive success so maybe yeah. off that as a as a Canadian force community you guys could build your own like the French have done like a small mm-hmm. a small circuit of events you know six man five man six man events and then the team that does the best over the year becomes the core of Team Canada.
0: It could it could be as such. And to be honest with you, I mean, through the work that that you know the members of Team Canada, uh, you know, use them as a specific example, are doing. Um, you know, they are actually creating a culture of you know, uh, team. Uh, you know, team players, like a group of players that are developing their skills specifically for this event. And they are, uh, you know, much more organized, I think, than at any time in the past. And that's because there's so much more interest and they're doing a wonderful job, I think. Uh, So, yeah, that's not what it's really about. I think it's just more general criticism I see out there about people poo-pooing this event. Because, honestly, uh, I think it's awesome. And I do believe that there is something intrinsically um, special about National competition, countrywide competition—the best of you know countries sending their best out to compete against other countries in collegial, um, you know, tabletop combat. It's cool, and I think that is an, a, a a very essential part of the essence of this event. And I just wanted to attack you guys with those questions <laughs> so that we could get that out there because I think that's something that people are thinking right now. It's like, okay, great, this is the time for Team America too. Well, hold on a second, guys. There is something to having a team America, the dream team, you know, like that is, that is what is, uh, you know, happened in, in all kinds of great dramatic moments in sports. And if you had to, well.
2: And at the same time, going back to what we talked about earlier, like a plan for the future is that we could have a, like the the, the one nation versus one nation tournament. And at the same time, a, you know, in brackets, bunny years side event that's open to anyone who wants to, who has a team to bring. And, you know, if you, if you are, you know, you want to create the uh, team. Team French-speaking Canada is greater than Team English-speaking Canada, and you guys think you know you can maybe Shout come. To, you can maybe comes that event, smash it, win it, and then you know you've suddenly got a mandate to potentially take over.
0: You know, right now, from a from, from sort of like a, a mind share thing, I think there are a lot of places and countries because of what you just described. The selection process is something that happens throughout the year, and who makes the team is kind of a big deal, and it's something that. Whole whole metas are kind of organized around developing that national team to send to the now WTC. That, you know, if you're not kind of part of that, then maybe the WTC doesn't seem quite as relevant to you. Yeah, it's cool. It's a team event. It happens somewhere and people talk about it in August, whatever. But it maybe doesn't have the same mindshare as like the LVO, despite it actually being this like awesome representation of some of the more skilled players around. What do you guys think about? Uh, you know how you how do you go about raising or elevating the uh, the, the the sort of status of the WTC of, of uh, get people to care more about the results and what happens there?
3: It has been an issue. Like you are correct, the WTC doesn't have the not, doesn't have essentially its reputation known because it has a feeling of like the old boys club because it's actually the same people for most countries and it has been a failure of past like we didn't do a good job of raising awareness and letting people know well, like, I don't want to call back to the ETC but one of the issues was we didn't ha- even have a, you know, the same website throughout the years because every year people wanted to do Their own website and we couldn't force them to just use ours and now we are working on a new website which is called worldteamchampionship.com and we'll essentially try to make it one-stop shop for everything WTC there. You want to know how to reach out to your national team you can go there and we will make it known that that's our aim to make it the prominent team tournament in the world. And we have been lacking in the past, I'll give you that. And we, like, by our structure, we can never be something that can be a thousand person tournament that easily because there's the limited amount of countries in the world. But we can improve the qualities of the event and make it the World Cup. Like, this is essentially like the football, it could be the World Cup of the tabletop miniature gaming and especially 40k and i think we have a great community that can support that
2: yeah and also one of the things we've definitely identified going forwards is we need to have a a much better stream game a much better social media game you know getting information out there early like open like across like you know different forums and platforms you know Doing some kind of you know, do, building up the hype, leading up to the event, and then obviously the coverage of the events. You know, these are all things that definitely could be improved. in mean, the past two years, Glass Hammer Gaming has, has streamed 40k, and not knocking them at all. They've done a, given the fact that they were doing it out of their entire own pocket and they're having to drive like half across Europe for their equipment. They did a really good job, but we could, you know, you just look at like what LVO did a few weeks ago, what you guys did at LVO. You know, that. That could be the level we're doing that, or so what LGT did, you know. There's, or what the ATC had multiple tables being streamed. There's, there's much more we could do there. And if we get, you know, we get our stream game, get our media coverage game nailed down, that's going to increase people's interest. And then positive, and obviously the positive, more interest, people get more invested in the team, it becomes a positive thing.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, there's, there's a big opportunity. One of the things I found fascinating, and I think uh, through Stat Center, uh the other show that I get to do on a fairly regular basis that I've always find fascinating is 40K being played in places you don't necessarily expect. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, I don't know why I'm so fascinated by it, but like even just the idea that like a Team Russia, so, you know, not probably native English speakers, you know, won the ETC uh, two, three years ago. Right, and what is what is Team Russia like? Like, where do those people come from? Where do they play? You know, what's their local game store look like? That that, those kind of stories to me are really fascinating and not really being told. Team Germany, Germany has like a its own sort of uh, you know ITC like uh, circuit, or at least it did last time I looked. Um, It has uh, clearly a very active and skilled uh, you know gaming population. What's the story behind Germany? The Spanish ran the largest tournament team event ever, in November, kind of out of nowhere. And clearly there's a really healthy, developed, uh, uh, you know, meta and, and uh, you know, committed group of players there. So there are these, I think a lot of it is the language barrier. Um, but, you know, the, the WTC being an English spoken language tournament can help, you know, break that down and let, I think, people from across the world who share this common interest, if not a common tongue, um, you know, connect with each other. And I think that's one of the brilliant things that uh, maybe some, uh, better media or you know pre-tournament hype could could bring to light.
2: Yeah, I mean we've talked about um, maybe creating a podcast and like having a Eurocentric, WTC-centric podcasts to go out there. There's all sorts. And you talk about these communities I and mean, like we found out today because we've been talking to the guy who wants to get Team Japan, who's going to get Team Japan up and running, that you know he's talking about that he knows about all these Asian communities. And He says like you know in Vietnam. There are three thousand gamers in Vietnam. And it's and he says it's crazy given that forty K was only legalized by the communist government three years ago. You know, I'd love to find out about that. But you know, you've got like, yeah. these communities that you could you wouldn't imagine that exist out there. And it's just it is a global phenomenon, but it is obviously very much a sort of Western European, North American centric in terms of like media coverage and what people know that's going on outside of their own country and it'd be great to like you say just to really make it a global thing and to have because the russian you know the russians when the russians come to etc they have their own 40k channel youtube channel and they come and they have like five media guys that film everything in russian you know (laughs) yeah getting those guys involved to maybe produce some content in english as well to promote to let people know you've got the the French have a, have a, have the Commander forty K, their own dedicated forty K YouTube channel, which is absolutely massive. Look at the amount the hits they get, it's colossal. You've got these these content creators in these countries, and it's absolutely the more people we can get involved in different ways, the better this event will be in the long run.
0: Yeah, I I fully agree. And I think uh maybe that's maybe that's the you know founding principle. You know, that I think that is sort of the Goal of the Olympiad, I think, is to get cultures and nations uh, together in friendly competition, not not uh, you know uh, airing old grievances, but learning about each other and building genuine relationships with each other that uh, sort of transcend you know maybe national differences and uh, and anything you can do uh, in any community to foster that kind of connection between people. I think even though this is just Warhammer. I think that's a great opportunity to do that. And uh, and so that's what maybe I encourage you guys to keep keep chasing and developing is just that that international quality and, and continue to welcome people in. You've mentioned Japan. Any other teams that um, you know you guys are hopeful might be able to to make a make an effort and make an appearance?
3: Well, I since we are actually we know for sure Team New Zealand is going to come this year. Uh, they, they they have an eight Russian team. Like Neil said, the team Vietnam can be it, might be a thing, which is possible. We have uh, China, team China. There is a team Europe, uh, Arab Emirates team that's trying to form itself, and team Slovakia, team Latvia, and even Mexico and Brazil teams are showing interest. So it's like that'd be awesome.
2: We we've got a team Argentina already, so we just need a few more South Americans. Yes.
3: Uh, they have been attending for the last two years, and they are like really super happy every time like they are cheery they're smiling all week because they it's like an amazing experience for them that they are traveling thousands of kilometers just to play forty k and they're always in a great mood it's always a fun to play with them even like they don't they care about the game but they don't mind losing or winning as long as they have a good game they are super want to play against Mm -hmm. this is usually like the further players come from this includes like for example the aussies as well australian team they play hard they got fourth place last last year but they are simply an amazing bunch of guys like it's always fun to just see them wherever you are in the city it's like and hopefully
0: hopefully this year you guys have someone who's Volunteered at the the host location to set up, so you don't have to, you know, get free Australian labor again to set (laughs) anything up every year.
3: That's not the point. They get come though. It's like if they don't come and carry tables, like yeah, we like them, but not that much.
0: (laughs) All right, guys. I think actually there was one thing, and I'm gonna regret asking this because I think we we're kind of ending on a high note. But I'm still gonna ask it. We're talking about you know these smaller countries. Uh, sort of trying to get teams together, and you know, there's always late, last-second cancellations and things happen, and so there's something known as mercenaries that was uh, that was sort of part of the the uh, the rules of the game and when you can bring and how many non nationals you can have on your team. And uh, last year, there was a uh, you know the poor uh, national uh, UK team was unable to get a full squad of eight uh, with only people from the United Kingdom, and they were desperate enough to sign uh, Nick Nanavati. Uh, just some a scrub player from America. And I'm curious, is there is there going to be a Nick Nanavati rule? Is there a Nick Nanavati rule as a result of of sort of taking uh, a mercenary who might be one of the best players in the world?
2: Yeah, there, is, there to... isn't a rule yet, but the proposal is that it'd be something along the lines of if you want to bring Mercs, you need to let the, like us, us free, all the referees, because the referee corps has been gradually pulled together now let them know who your mercenaries are and you know being realistic here if you know certain countries that we know have giant communities turn around and say hey we want to bring along this guy and it's like "Ah, really you know it's just about that because the thing is is, it didn't break any rules you know no it didn't it didn't break any rules and Nick didn't get on to team america and he is one of the best players in the world. And he re- and like everybody who's ever been CTC once. Once you've been once, you want to go every year because it's like it's forty k Christmas. It's amazing, you know. It, I mean, you've been there, Val. You know the atmosphere. Like you said, all these people from all these different countries getting together with one thing in common, well, two things: play forty k and drink lots of beer. You know, and it's just yeah. and everyone's has such a good vibe there. And it yeah, you
3: know, <laughs> more important than
2: the platform. Yeah, it's like- so. Yeah, there, there's something in play. There will be something in place to stop that to stop the good nature of the Mercery rule being abused because it's essential. Yeah. Like you know, Team Turkey is a good example. Ishik. I mean, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't have been at the ETC if you weren't able to bring a couple of mercs.
3: Uh, yeah, that's true. Like as I said, some countries are they cannot just get five, six people, so they can't form a core. But seven and eight has to be essentially random people who haven't played the game yeah. and. And so that's why we are sort of getting a more uh, active approach. We are not like we will essentially merge applications. This system is still not certain, but essentially we'll just okay. We know you are team. Let's say uh, team Vatican. i just and we know Vatican has thousands of players, for example. And if mm-hmm. team Vatican tries to go get somebody from a random team yeah I you should essentially like you said is is that really your only choice can't you bring somebody else and then we will do investigate the situation in a case by case basis because the universal rules usually punish the small teams but if you just don't like if you just don't allow any mercenaries, you might lose several teams but if you yeah. allow them like, it did drop some captains the wrong way. It doesn't matter if, like, English, if England even didn't win, it wouldn't have like the problem would be the same because it just. But, but, so, but the, the thing
2: team. is, I'm, sorry, go say Ishik It's also I know Nick is Nick is one of my friends. I consider him a friend. It is also because it was Nick. You know, Team Wales have had Nick Rose play for them. On multiple occasions, you know, Nick Rose is one yeah. of the best players in America. He's an amazing player, amazing, sure an amazing human being, actually. To be mm-hmm. honest, wow, um, I do love the man. But I've never looked no, into his soul. There was no but yeah. kind of complaints about that, you know. And Wales are not, you know, Wales. Okay, they've had a bit of a dip the past two years, but Wales were a bit of a powerhouse. So, you know, they were always contending for a podium position at most in, in like the final game most CTCs. So They're not a, a pushover team. So. I think it was a lot to do with that it was just specifically someone high profile like Nick as well and then that it was Team England who are a massive community and are one of the powerhouses in ETC as well so it's a combination of those two factors more than necessarily a team picking a strong merc from another country
0: so this is, this is like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to editorialize a little bit, but I, you know, again, question came from the devil's advocate chair. I, I, for one, absolutely loved it. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a cool little sub story. Um, you know, it was, it was dramatic, but it wasn't drama. It was, it was just, it was cool. And then they went home and actually won. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I mean, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens at, at national level competition. I mean, you know, I think it's cool, as long as the the team is majority that ex-nationality, I think there's nothing wrong with if it, if it, another team has the opportunity to to raise their level of play by going out and getting a really good player who just couldn't quite make the cut at another team. Like, you look at TJ Lanigan last year, played for Team Canada. I'm pretty sure, I'm 99.9% sure, he's on the U.S. squad this year. So he used that as a way to get onto the national team, demonstrate his skills, and show that he's able to compete at that level And so I would say, you know, I would appeal, like, don't react negatively to this. It was awesome. If anything, if you're if you're a a national team that doesn't quite have that that level of quality, maybe consider, hey, why don't we why don't we go find one of the Americans who are stuck at home or one of the the Brits who are stuck at home because they can't quite make their national team because they're so good. It'll only raise the level of competition and make those teams better and give people the opportunity to play. So I'm all for mercenaries and I was setting you guys up for that. And I apologize.
2: No, it's okay. I'll just totally tag on that, because it is true. I mean, personal experience, I was on the guys that started Team Scotland. We couldn't get eight, even just eight players who were Scottish together, let alone eight ETC players. And we had Nathan Roberts, who is the captain. Josh Roberts is the captain of Team England. It was his little brother playing for us. We also had another couple of players who were, who are now, who well, were mainstay England, Team England players playing for us initially, because we couldn't get enough Scottish players together because it wasn't really a Scot. there was not much a, of a tournament scene in Scotland they had one tournament a year like a small 20 man event you know but through the mercs allowing the team to to exist Team Scotland and then just you know Scottish players actively getting out there and you know rustling people up having little one day events to, to like spread the spread the new the word of what Team Scotland is what the ETC is about Team Scotland has now got a really healthy tournament scene they've got, to- they've got like one or two yeah. tournaments a month, and I mean, and they they came third. They came third I mean, last they, two years. They ago.
0: record their resort they, they still record all their results on a on a sheepskin. But yes, I mean, they they clearly are, uh, you know, developing a really good national squad there.
2: Yeah, and that's and that. That would never happened if Scotland wasn't allowed to put Merceries in the team or me and Timkins started out you know, and right. so I, I 100% I'm 100 on it, Mercs are important we just need to have a little bit of sensibility that certain teams can't abuse it, you know, what you don't want to turn around is there'll be a, a, like a super team you know, at the end of the day where it's like the four best Americans plus like, you know, an amazing German player amazing French player and stuff like that and it just becomes silly at that point, doesn't it? Well, I don't know.
0: I mean, you're still gonna get you're still gonna get four amazing players who bubble up and, and have to take their spots on those national squads, right? I mean, like I've always been mumbling why why isn't Team Canada the four best Canadians plus the four Americans who didn't make the national team? Like, you know, I just think that would I think that would just you know breed better competition. I think it's great. I think really maximizing the potential of the best players with that national feel and like that grounding of it's gotta be the majority of that from that ex country. You know, I don't know. We've ranted. I've ranted enough about it. I think it's awesome. I hope you guys keep mercenaries and and don't get weird about it just because Nick did something cool last year along with some English guys.
2: You know, the very sorry, just, just one little bookend, very funny story about the whole Nick thing, was that it was Alex Harrison that basically reached out to Nick and then got Nick to reach out to Team England about joining the team, and Nick then took Alex Alex Harrison's spot on the team. <laughs> And and Alex doesn't mind me saying that because he's my mate. So
0: you know that's that's all well and good. Um, Mr. Harrison's been on uh, Stat Center a couple times. No 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 stranger to us. I drafted him in fantasy too. Although he went down pretty early this year with his barely practiced possessed bomb at the LVO. Damn it, Harrison. Anyway, so let's wrap it up, guys. I I think uh, just just to to maybe as a farewell, what's the number one thing that you're looking forward to in the in the bright new future of. Uh, of, of the WTC or World Cup of Warhammer, Ishik?
3: Well, I would say I'm looking forward to improving every year in a way that's like showing the best sides of 40K in a global scale. And, and get, reaching out to every country, making it grow, showing that we are a good community not just in one or two countries but in dozens of countries across several continents. Ideally, it would be
2: to
0: be a force for good. Wonderful. And Neil?
2: To not have to stock toilet paper anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's an awful <laughs> story.
2: <laughs> no, but um, I'm just looking forward to more of the same. I'm looking forward to it, you know, this amazing thing that is the WTC. It well, was ETC, it's now the WTC. This amazing vibe, this amazing group of people that make it up. It's like 250-odd people expansive every year, you know. I just want to see that continue and hopefully grow in some way and just keep the good times rolling.
0: Heck yeah. And uh, I wish that only to you guys and your team and all the captains. And uh, I really look forward to what's in store for the whole event. And uh, I will be uh, following along closely, safely from a distance. Uh, You will never see me there again. That's it guys, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, Pobs would probably plug a bunch of stuff about the Patreon right now. There is a Chapter Tactics Patreon. You can do that. You can support. We didn't talk about the ITC here, but it's still together, guys. That family didn't didn't uh, separate. So you can uh, support the ITC through the ITC Patreon if that's something you would like to do. Uh, and, of course, support the other shows on the network. There's a little one called Stat Center. One day we're going to release another show again. And, of course, Art of War's uh, featuring the uh, aforementioned Nick Nanavati and some other guy delivering some really great in-depth analysis. And then finally... You've got the man himself, the granddaddy of uh, a lot of things in 40K, Mr. Reese Richard Robbins, and usually Pablo on Signals from the Frontline usually every Wednesdays on the network. So tune in, guys. There's no reason to listen to anything else but what you can hear on the Frontline Gaming Network. Thanks again to Ishik and Neil for, for sharing their stories. And, uh, and again, everyone who's listening, I'm sure, wishes you all the best, and, and uh, we look forward to an awesome tournament this summer.
3: Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having
0: us. Good. You're welcome. Good night.